This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Sad times as well. We're closing out our study of the book of Ephesians. We've gone through verse by verse since the beginning of last year. Uh, 54 messages in total that we preach from the book of Ephesians. Uh, and I hope you've been challenged and encouraged as we've gone through this. So grab your Bible one last time as we turn to the book of Ephesians and wrap up our series entitled Alive Together. Alive Together was our 2018 theme as a church family. We preached, started preaching through it verse by verse the beginning of last year. Uh, and we wrap it up today in Ephesians chapter 6. If you miss any of the messages throughout our study of Ephesians, you can always get caught up on our website at huicala.org. Uh, subscribe to our podcast. Uh, don't, we have a smartphone app for your phone or your tablet. You can download and stay caught up that way. Uh, we've got a SoundCloud channel and everything. Uh, so whatever you do, don't miss out on any of the messages that we see uh, so far. The next two weeks, we're uh, talking about preparing for revival. Our fall revival services kick off two weeks from today. I want to encourage you to be a part of that. Uh, we're going to have very brief services uh, each night, Monday through Wednesday. Uh, we won't have our regular connect groups or discipleship that week on that Wednesday night. Uh, we'll gather here for a time of revival services. Uh, we call it revival services because you can't schedule revival. Uh, you can't put it on the calendar and say, we want God's spirit to show up and revive what's ma- been uh, laying dormant in our lives on this date. It doesn't work that way. What we can do is we can prepare an environment in our own hearts and in our own church family uh, for God's spirit to move. That's what we want to do. Uh, so next two weeks, we'll be taking a look at preparing for revival, and that'll lead us right into our fall revival services, uh, four weeks that we'll do that. Also, I want to encourage you, uh, men, if you'd like to, on su- uh, Saturday mornings at 7 a.m., we're gathering together for a time of revival prayer. Uh, we met with about 15 or so guys yesterday. Uh, and guys, you're more than welcome to join us for that if you want to. 7 a.m. Uh, Saturday mornings for the next two Saturdays. Uh, one of our men says, can we do like a 10.30 a.m. prayer meeting on Saturday? No. Um, so uh, if you're able to make it for that, that'd be great. If not, just, just continue to, to pray for uh, God's spirit to move in our church in a special way. Ephesians chapter six, uh, we're gonna start in verse number uh, 23 this morning. This is sometimes referred to as the benediction or the closing thoughts that Paul has. Uh, he usually closes most of his writings in using similar phraseology. And if you're not careful, this can be one of those parts in the Bible that you just look at and you just skip it. Yeah, peace, grace, and faith. Yeah, blah, 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 amen. Boom, move on. But if you miss out on what all of those things really mean, you miss out on really Paul's heart and the, part of the reason why he wrote the message or the letter uh, to begin with. And so we find ourselves in uh, Ephesians chapter six, starting in verse number 23. Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with them all that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity, amen. As we take a look through the book of Ephesians, big, huge uh, uh ideas that we've uh, tracked down as we go through the passage. First of all, we see in the beginning of Ephesians that we're redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, The power of Jesus is given to believers. We were once dead in our trespasses and sin, but we're alive in Jesus Christ and made alive together with other Christians and together with Jesus Christ. We're saved by grace through faith alone. We're reconciled to God by the power of the cross. We're no longer strangers, but we're part of the family of God. We can strengthen the inner man and find strength spiritually inside of us because we serve a God who is a 
We're called to walk worthy of the life that Jesus has given for us, be solid in doctrine and grounded in our faith. Uh, talk about how Christians live differently. We're to put off the old man, be renewed and put on the new man. Don't partake in sin with unbelievers. Don't walk in wisdom. Don't be drunk uh, with alcohol. Uh, be filled with the spirit. He gives us guidelines for Christian marriages. Uh, he tells how Jesus expects his church to be a holy bride. Tells us how children should obey their parents and how parents should raise them up to love Jesus. Finally, he closes out and talks about being spirit-filled amongst your coworkers in the workplace. And then finally, we're in a spiritual fight and we're to use the armor of God and pray in the spirit at all times. And we find ourselves here today, him really challenging us with three big ideas, peace, love, grace. And I don't think there's any of us that would disagree that those things are important. I don't think any of us would disagree that those are things that we desire in our own lives. But Paul uh, lays it out here and tells us this is kind of the expected activity for Christians. Uh, again, because we're Christians, we live differently. Uh, because we're Christians, we draw strength from a different source. Because we're Christians, our lives should reflect the life of Jesus Christ. As we dig into this passage this morning, we see for the church to function as God intended it, we must live like Jesus. If we're gonna be the church that God has called us to be, we must model Christ-like behavior. That means you and I have to act like Jesus. This is difficult because we can't do it on our own. This is difficult because left to our own devices, left to our own power, we're gonna do the exact opposite of the way that Jesus lived. Jesus lived a very selfless life. We, by default, live a very selfish life. What can I get from this? What is in it for me? That was the opposite of Christ's uh, life. He wanted to know how he could spend his life, how he could give his life for others. That means to live like Jesus, we must walk in the Spirit. The Bible tells us in the book of Galatians chapter five what walking in the spirit is, verse number 22. When we walk in the spirit, the Bible says we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. So you and I cannot live a life of peace, love, grace towards anybody else without the help of God in our lives. As simple as that. Now these attributes, these, uh, these fruits come as a result of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. And if the Holy Spirit is in you, then he wants to produce out of you Love and joy and peace and long-suffering and temperance and meekness and goodness and faith wants to bring all those things out of you if you're a child of God. However, if you're not a child of God, then you're really just kind of trying to modify your behavior a little bit. I often tell folks when it comes to uh, marital counseling, uh, one of the things that I love, I, I love the gift of, that God's given of marriage. I think it's really important. I think it's important for husbands and wives to figure out how we can be better husbands and be better wives and how we can contribute to uh, the family in a greater degree. And I love to do marriage counseling. But I only do marriage counseling with Christians because I point them back to what the Bible says, how we're supposed to live our lives. I give them a guideline and here's what the Bible says you should be and here's how you carry it out. I would never and have never provided marital counseling for unsaved people, non-Christian couples, because I don't have any tools to give you. Be nice, try not to be mean, don't raise your voice. I don't know, I don't have anything to offer because everything that you and I need to live the life that we need comes from God's word. And it, it, it's required that we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us because the Holy Spirit, as we saw last week, will show us when we're wrong. It'll convict us of sin. It'll remind us of the things that Jesus says. It'll always point us back to Jesus. It'll cause us to want to live a life for God's glory. But some people aren't children of God, therefore they don't have the, the Holy Spirit. And if you're here today and you don't know for sure 
that you're part of the family of God. I'm not talking about you go to church somewhere or your name is on a membership roll somewhere. I'm talking about has there been a time in your life where you have accepted Jesus Christ as your savior? Has there been a time in your life where you have been born again? Just as you had a time, a date, and a place where you were physically born, the Bible says you must be spiritually born again. Jesus says it this way in John chapter three, no man shall see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. If you wanna call yourself a child of God, if you wanted to believe that heaven is your home one day, there's only one way to do that, and that is to be born again or to be saved. You see, you and I are not born with peace. We're not born with love. We're not born with grace. We're born with selfishness. We're born with pride. We're born with self-preservation and looking out for number one. That's what we're born with. And when God gives us guidelines, we kind of weigh whether or not that works in our favor or not. But God says to do this, do I really wanna do that or not? And many times we choose, no, I don't wanna do that. And we've chosen to go our own way. And this is not a one-time thing that you've sinned against God. This is a lifestyle that we live. It's not a, I think I did one thing when I was in high school one time that I'm not really proud of. No, we're talking about the things that you did this past week that you're not proud of. That is sin according to the Bible. The Bible says that sin separates us from God. Because you and I have sinned against God, it's created this buffer between you and I and God that we cannot get to God because of our sin. And the closer we try to get to God, the farther God moves away because our sin has separated us from God. Our sin also has eternal consequences. When you die one day, physically, the Bible says you'll spend eternity in one of two places. You'll spend eternity with God in heaven or you'll spend eternity in hell. There is no in-between, there is no purgatory, there is not, when I die, I hope I get to heaven. Everything is made up and determined the second that it lights out for you on this earth. That's why you have to plan ahead of time. So, will you go to heaven or will you go to hell? It's not based on how good of a person you are. It's not based on uh, your religious uh, acts that you do. It's not gonna be based upon your church attendance. It's gonna be based upon your faith in Jesus Christ alone. Have you been saved before? If you've been saved, the Bible says that you're a child of God. You've come to a point in your life where you realize, I'm not perfect. I can't make it to heaven on my own. I believe that I am a sinner and I believe that I deserve God's judgment, whatever it might be. And you turn your heart towards God and you repent of your sin. God, I know that I've sinned against you. God, I know that I've wronged you and I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin and save me. And the Bible says, if you confess your sin, that you will be saved. Are you saved? If you're not saved, the Bible has very, very strong words for you. The Bible says if you are not saved, to him that hath the Son hath life, to him that hath not the Son, Jesus Christ, hath not eternal life, and the wrath of God abides upon him. That's heavy, heavy right there. Because God's wrath will be poured out in hell for all of eternity. So you and I must make sure before we leave this earth that our sins are forgiven. I need to make sure before it's my time to go that my sin is taken care of by Jesus Christ. And the great news is it's a one-time thing. It's not something I, I need to stay caught up on. It's not something, one of those things that I gotta make sure that I, I, I'm ready to go today. No, for me, I put my faith and trust in Jesus as my savior, as a nine-year-old boy. I didn't fully grasp the depths of the Bible. I didn't understand the deep truths of God's word. I just knew that I had broken God's law and I was going to hell when I died. And I asked God to save me and forgive me my sins. And as a nine-year-old boy, God saved me. Now, I haven't been perfect since I was a nine-year-old boy. I probably haven't been perfect since nine o'clock last night. 
But the point isn't living a perfect life. The point is living a forgiven life. My sins are forgiven because of what Jesus has done. So are you saved? It's the only way you can get to heaven. It's the only way that you will ever find true peace in this life. It's the only way that you'll ever know real love in this life. It's the only way that you'll ever be able to receive grace and then give grace in return through Jesus Christ alone. Friend, if you're here today without Jesus and you walk out the door without Jesus, know this, the wrath of God is on you. I've met people before who say, when before my time comes, I'm gonna make that decision. I always have the question, when is that? When will your time come? I hope everybody in this room lives to be uh, 112 rocking your great-great-grandkids on the front porch and you go in and you go to bed and you just never wake up and you wake up in the arms of Jesus. That would be nice. But that's not reality, is it? Many of us would know people who we would say have gone before their time. (laughs) Know this, God's never early and he's never late. It was always God's time. It wasn't our time. But they were gone before we were ready or we thought that they should be ready. I graduated high school in 1995. There's probably a very small uh, town of about 5,000 people in my hometown. There's already about two dozen people who have already died from my graduating high school class. Life goes like that. It's quick. Are you ready? I'm not trying to scare anybody into anything. I just want you to know the truth of God's word. You need to be ready. Because when you die, there is no bargaining with God. The Bible says you're guilty of your sin. I'm guilty of my sin. The Bible says the penalty of our sin is hell for all of eternity. I get it. And the Bible says I deserve that. But Jesus says I'll die in his place. I'll pay for his sin. And I as a nine-year-old boy and to this day put my faith and trust in what Jesus has done on the cross for me to save me from my sin. And because of that, when I die, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt with 100% certainty that heaven is my home because of the promises of God's word. Do you know that for sure yourself? If not, please don't leave here today without knowing for sure that your sins are forgiven. It's the most important thing in the world, it really is. But Paul here is talking to Christians. This whole letter that he's written to the church at Ephesus, the book of Ephesians as we would call it, is written to believers. He's written to Christians. It's written to a church family like you and I. Imagine us going out to check the mail one day and we open up and go, oh, wow, it's a letter from Paul. Let's see what it says. Some people were excited to see that letter. Some people were greatly discouraged to see that letter, right? But in Paul's letter, as he closes out, here's what he says. I want God's peace, his love, and his grace to be upon all them that love Jesus with sincerity. Amen. The words, amen, let it be so, let it be true, amen. So let's take a look at this and just break it down. First of all, God wants us to have peace with one another. Again, we're talking about within the church family here. Peace with one another. If you've been around Christianity for any length of time, you've probably been around or maybe even heard of what is sometimes referred to as a church split. It's one of the ugliest things that can happen amongst Christians where some people get upset, they get bent out of shape and they decide, uh, done with you, moving on and a group of people will leave and go to another church somewhere. And, and I, uh, the, the 
the entire time that I've been a Christian, the entire time that I've been around that, the people that leave that are angry, it never ends well for that group of people. And it generally doesn't bode well for the church that, that had the split going as well. Now, I have been around church splits that were very, very healthy. You go, what? How can a church split be healthy? Because there were some unethical things that were going on in the church. Maybe there was doctrinal compromise in the church. Maybe there were people in the, in the church that were being carnal that just didn't want to walk with Jesus. And a solid group of Bible-believing Christians that really love Jesus left that church and are actually doing really well as a, as a result of it. But when people split because of pride, because of anger, because of disunity, it generally doesn't end well. So Paul challenges them. I want God's peace to be upon you. You see, drama and disunity destroys the church every single time. Here at Who We Call a Baptist Church, we have a zero tolerance policy on gossip, drama, and disunity. 100% not gonna happen. No tolerance whatsoever. If I find out that somebody in our church doesn't like somebody else in our church, the three of us will sit down and we'll hold hands and we'll sing Kumbaya and we'll pray and we'll do whatever. It's not gonna happen. Not, not in this church. No, sir. Not gonna happen. If you come to me and gossip to me about somebody else in our church, I'm gonna stop you right there. Hey, give me just a second. I want to call them over here and have them as part of this. Like, oh, no, Pastor, I don't want to do that. You need to shut your mouth. Simple as that. Zero tolerance. We're not going to have it. That destroys churches. We need peace. We need unity in our church. We can't have these people over here that don't like these people over here and, and these people over there had a, uh, don't like these people over there. And I'll, I'll go to church with them, but I'm not going to like them. Not, not in this church. And I have had the conversation with people. If you can't get along, you need to find another church. <gasps> That's terrible. You can't do that. The Bible says you can. God hates disunity. The Bible is supposed to be a body. And body cannot fight against other body parts. It just doesn't work that way. The church is supposed to be a family and not the dysfunctional family like you and I have, right? Like a real family. You know what I'm talking about. Paul challenges the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. Get on the same page. That there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind, in the same judgment. The church at Corinth was rife with drama, problems, disunity, sin, everything under the sun. And he starts off from the very beginning. Verse number one, or chapter number one, verse number 10, very beginning. He doesn't call out sexual sin, although there was that there. He doesn't call out people who were being unkind to other people, though it was there. He calls out very first disunity because that's what destroys a church. And here do we call it, we just, we just don't have it. We've, we've asked people to leave our church before because of disunity. There's been people who caused drama and division in our church that have left, and our church was a better church as a result of it. You're saying, well, are you saying I gotta leave this church? If you're gonna cause drama and disunity, you gotta leave the church or you gotta make it right. Simple as that. I wanna see you make it right. I wanna see everybody grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and be grown-ups and function like the church that Jesus gave his life for. That's what I want. But if you're gonna be petty, you're gonna be carnal, you're gonna be immature, this is definitely not the right church for you because we're a group of people that love each other and so, so, so love Jesus in the gospel. 
And if you're going to do anything to take away from that, we can't afford it. Just can't. And if you read through the Bible, that's a very biblical viewpoint as well. Next, unity comes from what we're united behind. What's the church all about? It's all about Jesus. What's the mission of the church? To go, win, baptize, teach. We call it the Great Commission. It's the job of the church. It's the mission of the church. We all rally behind that. But imagine being a part of a church where you think it's about you. Imagine being a part of a church where you think it's about your comfort. Imagine being a part of a church where you feel like you need to have your say because you've been here longer than anybody else or uh, you were on a committee at your last church that did stuff like that. Imagine being a part of a church like that. Nobody gets unified behind that. I've seen churches almost split before because they voted on the color of the walls. And so the group that wanted green didn't get their way and the people that got blue got their way and the greens didn't like the blues. And it's like, are you kidding me? Hey, I'm just gonna make it really easy for you. When we started Who We Call It, we painted the walls gray for one reason, because it doesn't show dirt, okay? And if you don't like the colors of the walls, we're not gonna get a committee together, we're not gonna pass around swatches and get your feedback, we're not gonna get a focus group together and talk about it, we're just not. <laughs> and if you need to be a part of a church that has 100 different committees over the paint swatch wall committee, this is not the place for you because we are not unified behind the color of our walls. Some of you hate the color of the walls. And you know what? Honestly, I'll tell you, I don't care. I don't like the colors of the walls. It doesn't matter. We're not here for a beautiful facility. We're here for Jesus. Some people like uh, liquid creamer instead of the creamer that we have. I'm sorry. No, really, I am. I'm sorry. Somebody asked me a couple weeks ago, great question. Could we get liquid creamer? Okay, first of all, liquid creamer you have to refrigerate. Second of all, they go, oh, no, not the ones you refrigerate, the ones you tear off the tops and pour it in your coffee. Okay, have you ever cleaned the church before? I'll tell you, it does not end well. And so, not gonna do liquid creamer, sorry. Um, well, my last church had liquid creamer. Then maybe you should go back to your last church. Now, I'm being facetious. I'm trying to be funny to show you that so many churches get so bent out of shape about things that do not matter. Don't matter. Can we rally behind the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the sins of mankind and our mission to go out and change the world with that news? I think we can rally behind that. I think we can be unified behind that. And unity comes from what we're united behind. Hey, we wanna talk about sports. We're not gonna be united, okay? Simple as that. I think that baseball is one of the most boring sports ever known to man. Some people here are, are about to grab their Bible and get out. <laughs> How it became America's pastime, I don't know, uh, but somehow it did. I took my kids, when we moved, my kids are small. We took them to a hockey game. They loved it because there was fights. I'm not a big hockey guy, but I love a good fight. Um, my kids enjoyed soccer. It was 90 minutes of dudes sprinting from one end of the floor to the, to, of, of the uh, field to the other. I took my kids to uh, see a basketball game. They loved it. Dunks, alley-oops, behind-the-back passes, no-look passes, three-pointers, loved it. I took my kids to a Dodgers game. And by like the third inning, they said, Dad, is it almost over? <laughs> Son, it hasn't even gotten started yet. <laughs> I just, it, okay, here, 
And if you're, if, you're a, if you're a baseball fan, I love you. But here's the thing. We're not unified behind it. And we never will be. You'll never be able to convince me that that's exciting. You just, just can't. Don't get me started on football. <laughs> I'm gonna stop before I split the church, okay? <laughs> but here's the thing. We're not unified behind any of those things. If you like football, I don't. And honestly, I don't care. If you like football and it's your thing, I'm happy for you that you got your thing, okay? I'm, I'm okay with that. Hey, look, it's coming from a Lakers fan. We've been terrible for the last decade, okay? It's okay. And here's the thing. You don't have to be unified behind that because it doesn't matter in the big scheme of things. You know what matters? What matters to me is that directly across the street from us is a 42-floor condominium that's full of people that don't know Jesus, that when they die, they're going to hell. That bothers me deeply, deeply grieves me. We just had a new building open up here probably, uh, I don't know, two months ago, full of, I don't know, four or 500 people. Some of them don't know Jesus. That bothers me that there are people that are 50 feet from a Bible preaching church that don't know Jesus. That bothers me. And I want us to get unified behind the mission of the church because everything else in the world wants to try to divide us. Don't start talking about politics. Don't start talking about where you grew up. Uh, don't start talking about who you're voting for president because all those things divide. And we have no time in Jesus' church to divide. It doesn't matter to me what your background is. It doesn't matter to me where you grew up. It doesn't matter to me what church, kind of church you grew up in. All I'm concerned about is are you on team Jesus? If the answer to that is yes, then let's get together and move forward and just have peace and love each other. In the history of who we call a Baptist church, I can count on one hand the number of times we've had drama that I've had to personally get involved with. In, in, in six years, you know why? Because we just don't tolerate it. Because we want the peace of God upon this place. And I'm not talking about the peace where you, you go and you close your eyes and you listen to, to music with bamboo water running. I'm not talking about that kind of peace. I'm talking about absence of drama, absence of disunity, and you know when you walk in here that you're part of family. Whether this is your first time here at Who We Call a Baptist Church or it's your hundredth time here, you know that this is your family and they're looking out for you. And when somebody says, hey, I haven't seen you in a couple weeks, is everything okay? They really mean it. They're not trying to get in your business. They're not trying to pry. They really love you. They care about you. Why? Because there's a spirit of peace here. And there's a spirit that if, like what Paul says, those that love and know Jesus, this is your home. This is your family. This is a place that you can grow. You see, the gospel is the ultimate peacemaker and the ultimate unifying agent. <laughs> the gospel says this. When you are wrong, you repent and ask Jesus for help. And when I wrong a brother or sister, you know what I do? I repent and I ask Jesus for help. <laughs> gospel brings it all back together. The gospel tells us how to have appropriate interpersonal relationships. It tells us how to fix what's broken. Paul says in Galatians chapter three, verse number 28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither there's a bond nor free, neither male or female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Again, cultural backgrounds here. I'm, I'm always interested to know where people grew up, what your uh, cultural background is. You got a really cool name. I wanna know where it came from and things like that. But honestly, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter to me your ethnicity or your cultural background. I'm just glad that you're here and you love Jesus. Simple as that. 
I got stuck with a name like Anthony King. Can it be more boring? I don't think so. Uh, so I'm always excited when people have unique names. Hey, what kind of name is that? Where did you grow up? Uh, what's your family's background? All those things are fascinating to me, but it holds zero weight whatsoever in whether or not you belong at who we call a Baptist church because if you love Jesus, you belong here. Simple as that. Because the gospel brings us together and the gospel breaks down any walls that we had. <laughs> Here's another thing about people that cause drama. Sowing discord is one of the things that God hates. God hates people that start trouble. Have you ever been around people before that were addicted to drama? If there wasn't problems, they'd find something to kick up. They'd go looking for something to bring up. Did you see the way he looked at you? Oh, I don't, I don't think that was good. They're just looking for something to bring up. The Bible says God hates stuff like that. Proverbs chapter six, uh, verse number 16. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, God hates pride. A lying tongue, God hates liars. And hands that shed innocent blood, God hates those that take people's lives. A heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that swift are running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. Now these have sometimes been called the seven what? Seven deadly sins, right? Here's the thing. That's not a biblical idea. It's not in the Bible, first of all. Second of all, you know what the Bible says? All sin leads to death. Book of James says that. So 100% of sin is deadly. All of it, okay? So there's not seven deadly sins and make sure you don't commit these because you'll die or something. That's foolishness. God's just giving you a list of the things that he hates. And it's interesting to me, now mind you, I want to be very clear on this. God hates sexual sin of every flavor, uh, whether it be fornication, premarital sex, uh, uh, adultery, same sex, uh, in, in relationships, things along those lines. God hates all of that. The Bible says it's an abomination to him. But folks who want to, to harp on one of those sexual sins to the neglect of the rest of the Bible, they're just not being truthful. Because the Bible says God hates pride. God hates liars. God hates people that shed innocent blood. God hates people that cause drama and sow discord. God hates it. So let's be biblically accurate. God hates pride too. Now, again, I'm not saying that all sin is, is equal in its consequences. The Bible says that sexual sin of any kind is in a category of its own. The Bible says any sin that we do, we sin against uh, others. But the one sin, sexual sin, we sin against our own flesh. Whether that's pornography, whether it's adultery, whether it's fornication, whether it's uh, homosexual relationships, it's all a sin against your own body. It's in its own category of destructiveness. But God hates people that cause drama. God hates those that sow discord among the brethren. It's a big deal to him. That's why we should separate from divisive Christians. To maintain a spirit of peace, the Bible says when you find people that cause division, mark them. <laughs> Have you ever been in a conversation where somebody starts to gossip and you go, ooh, I got your number. I'm not saying anything around you. That's what the Bible says when it says mark them. Oh, I got your number. But let me help you with another thing. If you hear somebody talking gossip, just stop. Hey, I'm, I'm gonna stop you right there. I don't wanna hear this. I really don't. If you've got a problem with that person, we should go talk to them about it. Because when you begin the person who wants to hear gossip, you're just as bad as the people that are, that are spewing it. 
But in this case here, the Bible says, take a look at the, um, if you would, uh, Romans chapter 16, verse number 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. Avoid them. I had to go to a lady one time. Hey, if you don't stop causing problems in our church, I'm gonna have to ask you to leave. Well, I don't feel like I've done anything wrong. Here's a list of 10 things that you've done wrong and people that you've wronged. And if you're gonna stay at Huikala, you need to go to every single person and repent of what you've done. I'm not gonna do that. Then you're not allowed to come back to our church. You can't do that. The Bible says that I can. Matthew chapter 18, we don't have time to go into about dealing with conflict when it comes up. It, it just can't happen. You're causing division, you've been marked, and now you're being avoided. And when you want to repent to all 10 of those people that you wrong and come back, we would lovingly welcome you back and make this your church home. Well, I'm not gonna do that. Then you're not allowed to come back. <laughs> well, I'm gonna come back. You can't stop me. Okay, let this be your first warning that if you show back up here, it's trespassing, I'll call the police and you won't come back again. Would you really do that? I would do anything in the world to protect the unity at our church. I would do anything in the world to protect the peace that's found in this place to make this a place where people can come when they hurt, when they need Jesus, when they wanna know about Jesus, where they can feel loved, appreciated, and accepted. I'll do anything in the world to defend that. That's my role as a pastor, a job. That's peace. Next, he says we should have love for one another. Verse 23, peace to the brethren, love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, our faith is lived out under the banner of love. You call yourself a Christian, you say that you're a person of faith and you must also, by definition, be a person of love. It's a requirement. Jesus says in John chapter 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I've loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. Jesus says the mark of authenticity on your life is your love for other people. Now, I've met people before, maybe this is you, and if it is, I'm gonna help you through this today. Well, pastor, I'm just not really a very loving person. This is not me. Pastor, I didn't grow up that way. That's, that's foreign to, to me and who I am and my personality. Uh, that's just not how I am. That's not who I am. I'm not just a loving person. Then I would challenge you to submit your personality to Jesus Christ. Ask God to change you. Ask God to give you a love for people because he says this is a defining characteristic of our faith. I've told the story before here, I'll tell it again. I am an introvert by nature. People that I don't know terrify me, honestly. And when we first started coming into our faith, Angela and I went to a church that had a handshaking time that was about um, 30 seconds long, but it was the longest 30 seconds of my life. And uh, when he said, all right, find somebody around you this morning and, and give them a handshake, welcome them to church. I would go to the bathroom. I didn't have to go to the bathroom. I just, there was the one place I could go that was safe. And I would go and I would lock the door and I would stand there and I'd just look at myself in the mirror. And then I'd hear the guy say, all right, if you find your way back to your seat, I'd unlock the door, I'd, I'd go back and I'd sit in my seat. All right, let's all stand together at this time for a closing word of prayer. Man, I would bolt out the door. I'll be waiting in the car. You can find me there. But I just didn't want to talk to anybody. It's not my thing. And I was trying to be super spiritual, like, I didn't come for you, I came for Jesus. <laughs> I don't need you, I just need Jesus. <laughs> it sounds so, so uh, spiritual, doesn't it? 
until you read about what Jesus actually did, who Jesus was. Jesus spent time with people. Jesus heard people's problems. Jesus prayed with people. Jesus helped people. And if I really wanted Jesus, then I would want to be like Jesus. And Jesus loved people. See what had to happen in my life? I had to ask God to change me. I'll be really honest. I didn't love people. I didn't even like people. Seriously. You know why? Because I love myself way too much. It was all about me. What can I get from this? What's in it for me? I don't need you. I even told my wife, this is how this is how spiritual I was at the time. Now mind you, I was young. I was I was probably I was probably twenty-two at the time, right? And my wife says, Sweetheart, you should try to get to know people in the church. You know, there's some really nice people there. I said this. I said, Sweetheart, I've lived 22 years of my life without knowing these people, and I can live 22 more without ever knowing any of them. I'll be fine. What you know? Why? Because it was about me. I feel awkward talking to people. I feel like people will think that I'm weird. Here's the thing. I'm socially awkward. I'm going to admit that in front of you this morning, right? I've come a long way. I can actually admit my faults now before I was trying to hide it. I know I'm socially awkward. It's weird sometimes. And I didn't want people to think I was weird. I didn't want people to ask me questions. I didn't want to uh, shake somebody's hand, my hand be all clammy and wet and stuff like that, have to apologize and be embarrassed by it. But then I realized it's not about me. It's not about what I can get out of it. It's about the glory of God. It's not about me. It's about Christian fellowship. It's not about me. Hey, if I'm okay and I don't need any other guys in my life to encourage me, which was a lie, then maybe I could be an encouragement to somebody else. How about that? And I asked God to change me. And you know what God did? I'm still socially awkward. I still feel weird talking to people that I don't know. But I love people. I really do. Because God changed my heart. Because I realized that love was one of the things that Jesus does. I realized that love was a defining attribute of true followers of Jesus. And I wanted to be a true follower of Jesus. So I needed that love. See, if your faith has no love, it's of no effect. We don't have time to look at the passage of Scripture this morning, but uh, 1 Corinthians 13 says this. You can have all the faith in the world. If you don't have love, it is worthless. It's useless. So I want to encourage you to be a people of love personally. Our church is incredible. I I tell people all the time, I believe this is the best church on the entire island. I believe it's the best church since the book of Acts. Um, I don't believe that there's a, a better church on our island. And you say, that sounds really arrogant. That's fine. That's what I believe not because of me or anything that I've done, but because the people here are some of the best people I've ever met in my entire life. I've been in church my entire life, and I've never met a group of people like this before, and it's something special that God's doing, and I'm thrilled to be a part of it. If I wasn't the pastor of this church, I would be a church member because I love this church. I love these people. But this church is made up of individuals who have committed to a a unity behind the gospel. They've committed to a lifestyle of love for other people, and we have to continue that, every single one of us individually. Finally, grace towards one another. Verse 24, grace be with them all that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Grace is undeserved, unmerited favor. It's me getting what I really don't deserve. And you see, when I have been wronged, I can choose to give grace. This goes back to that whole keeping the peace thing. If somebody said something was unkind, I can choose to get upset be deeply wounded and carry that wound uh, and that, that hurt with me for so long and allow it to become my identity, or I can just choose to give grace. 
six years of pastoring, I've been hurt a lot by a lot of people, but you know what I've choose, chosen to do? I've chosen to give it to the Lord, give grace, and just move on. Simple as that. You can't harbor hurt. You can't harbor anger. And you must choose to be a grace giver. You see, we're either a grace giver or we're scorekeepers. Simple as that. This will help you in your marriage as well. This will help you at work as well. Sometimes I'll talk with people in marriage counseling and I'll say, hey, tell me what's going on here. Oh, we're having troubles with this, that, and the other, and stuff like that. Well, when did it start? Well, I remember uh, on our third date, uh, he did this and uh, just uh, snowballed from there. We've been married for three weeks and he did this. And then a month later, he did this. And it's just like, whoa, dial it back. You guys have been married for 12 years. For being stuff you did on the third date. What happened? We got a scorecard that we're keeping back here. We, we chose to never give grace. And we can choose to give grace, undeserved, unmerited favor, or we can choose to keep score. And let me just tell you this, if you keep score, your scorebook's gonna fill up and your heart will fill with anger, bitterness, hurt. Have you ever been around somebody before where their hurt was their identity? It was who they were. Well, I've been wrong my whole life. and This is just how it is. You, you let your hurt become your identity and you never gave grace. And I don't know why the things that happened to me in my life the way that they did, but I just trust God. I don't know why the hurt has happened to you the way that it has in your life, but I hope that you'll just trust God and whatever wrong you've had done in your life, you'll just choose to give grace and allow God to heal the hurt. That's where you're gonna find that peace and love and grace that you greatly desire. We also pray for God's grace upon the lives of others. I have a prayer list that I keep in my office of every single person that attends who we call a Baptist church. That's why I ask people on their very first Sunday, fill out a connection card and drop it in the offering basket, uh, not because somebody will, we wanna bug you or put you on a mailing list that you can't get off of or anything like that, because I take all those and I pray over names. And I pray for you every single day. And I pray for God's blessings upon your life. And I pray for God's grace to be evident in your life, God's undeserved favor to be upon you. And I hope that you'll pray the same for others in our church family as well. Because he says, grace be to all them that love our Lord Jesus in sincerity as well. Final thoughts as we close out the entire book of Ephesians. First of all, if there's a problem, seek restoration immediately. Immediately. If you got something that somebody said that hurt your feelings, go to them right away. Hey, I know you probably didn't mean it this way, but I took it this way and it, it hurt my feelings. Seek restoration immediately. And sometimes you might not even have to say anything to them. You can just choose to give grace. They said that. I bet they had a long week. I bet they had a bad day. I'm not gonna take it personally. I just choose to forgive them and give grace. And I'm just gonna move on. But if there's a problem, seek to fix it immediately. If you can't solve it, talk to your pastor. <laughs> if you can't fix it, talk to me. Because if you got a problem, go, I'll solve it. For those of you that know that reference, shame on you. If you're scratching your head and go, I don't know what that means. God bless you. You're so holy. Seriously, though, if there's a problem, I need to know about it. Why? Because it's my job to keep the peace in this place. It's my job to guide this group of believers into the greatest spiritual fruitfulness that we've ever experienced in our entire life. And I need your help with that. So if you hear of a problem, you know of a problem, don't be a gossip about it. Uh, if I've got a problem with Joe, I go talk to Joe about it. Simple as that. I don't go talk to Bob and see if he's ever had a similar problem with Joe. And then I talk to Jim and see if Jim's ever had a problem with Bob or Joe. Because I'm thinking about talking to Joe, but I was talking to Bob and Bob said some things that caused me to question. No, that's gossip. And it's gonna stop. If it's going on, I don't know about it. If it, if it is, it's gotta stop. Got a problem with Joe, I talk to Joe. 
Joe doesn't want to resolve the problem, I go talk to my pastor. And we're gonna sit down and we're gonna work it out. Matthew chapter 18 outlines how this works. And it's beautiful when it works. It's God's plan for sure. Next, don't uh, be afraid to show love for others. Our church does a bang up job of this. And if you're a first time guest at who we call, know this, we prayed for you. You're loved here. This is a place where you can grow in your faith. And, and this is one of the most loving group of people I've ever met in my entire life. Don't be afraid to show that to people. And sometimes at handshaking time, it's just, hey man, how was your week? That's showing that you care. Hey man, how can I pray for you this week? That's just saying that you wanna be involved in their life. Don't be afraid of things like that. Guys are the worst at it. You know, girls will hug people all the time. Guys, we're just like, kind of weird. You know, sometimes guys do those cool handshakes, you know, where we're like slap five in the middle and like grab each other, you know, like, like Sylvester Stallone did with like a bicep bulging. Does anybody know what I'm talking about there? No. Okay. Anyways, uh, guys have cool handshakes that we do, but we're, we're a little bit standoffish when it comes to say, hey, man, I love you, and I'm praying for you this week. Oh, that's weird. Doesn't have to be. If it's weird, it's because you're making it weird, right? We should be able to say, tell the guys, hey, man, I love you, and I'm praying for you this week. Hey, I love you, and I'm really glad you're a part of this church family. Hey, you encourage me the way that you lead your family. Man, those words speak life into people. Don't be afraid of that. First of all, pray that God would give you love for others. I had to do this. Again, rewind the, the tape, you know, 18 years. This is me. I had to pray, God, would you help me love other people? Because I don't. I just love me way too much. I don't love people. I don't like people. Would you change my heart? And God changed my heart. And sometimes we just need to pray that God would give us a love for people. Next, being loving requires being vulnerable. This is hard. Let me tell you this. When you love people, you'll get hurt. It's the price of admission. Be willing to pay it. Simple as that. Uh, today we have about, um, I don't know, six, seven people that are leaving our church, going to the mainland, uh, job transfers. Uh, one of our uh, single ladies is going to college. Uh, two of our single ladies are going to college. Uh, man, it's tough. It's hard to see people that you love and you care for and you pray for to leave. But you know what? This is part of it. Be willing to be vulnerable. Be willing to allow God to do a work in you and through you. Final thought, be a grace giver, not a scorekeeper. I'm just gonna choose to give grace. I'm not gonna keep a scorecard of every time I've been wronged, every wrong thing that I've done. I'm just gonna choose to give grace and let God handle the details. If I've got a problem with somebody else, I'll sit down and talk with them about it or maybe I just need to give grace and move on. I wanna pray for God's grace upon other people's lives. I want God to use me to bring about peace, love, and grace in his church family. What God's doing here at Hui Call is nothing short of miraculous. I was reading a, a study a couple of weeks ago. The average Baptist church in the United States last year baptized two people. That's embarrassing, first of all. But you think about it, for every church that baptized four, there was a church that baptized zero. For every church that baptized six, there were three churches that baptized nobody. I grew up in a church where the, they stored the Christmas decorations in the baptistry because nobody ever got baptized. In a church where people are being baptized by a half dozen, a dozen at a time, that doesn't happen at every church in America. God's doing something special here. I, I don't know of another church that's had as little drama as what we've had in our church family. You know why? Because I believe God's doing something special here. But it has to continue. It's gonna continue because you and I choose to be what God's called us to be. Final thought, the most important thing in the entire world, if you're here today and you do not know for sure that you're saved, 
You're not for sure that heaven is your home when you die. You'll never know peace. You'll never know love. You'll never know grace until you know Jesus first. And so I challenge you, if you're here today and you do not know for sure that you are saved, you're not 100% sure you're born again, please don't leave before you talk to me. I'll have one of our men sit with the men, uh, ladies sit with another lady and tell you how you can know for sure that your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home. But for those of us that are Christians, man, we live different now. We're alive together in Jesus Christ because of what he's done and we get to point people to Christ with our life. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.